I think one of these days Steve is going to be leading the choir and just be raptured, just going to be with the Lord. I might go with him and leave you guys here. Well, today we're going to continue our series from the Old Testament as we look at Solomon's temple. Now, you recall that David wanted to build the temple. That was the desire of his heart. God, however, would not allow him to do so because God said, David, you are a man of war. Therefore, it would not be appropriate for you to be the one to build the temple. That did not, however, diminish the desire of David. And so he began to gather together the materials that would be needed to build the temple. Then he appointed his son Solomon to be his successor, and he gave him instruction concerning the temple. In First Chronicles 22, then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. So David then wanted to build a temple. He was not allowed to do so. He appointed his son Solomon and instructed him to begin the building of the temple. Now let's look at the story. Take your Bibles, turn with me. First Chronicles chapter 29, beginning in verse number 1. Then King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God the gold for the things of gold, and the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, onyx stones and inlaid stones, stones of antimony and stones of various colors, and all kinds of precious stones and alabaster in abundance. And moreover, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver, I give to the house of my God over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple." Namely, 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the buildings of gold for the things of gold and of silver for the things of silver. That is, for all the work done by the craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? I know probably when you saw that I was going to speak from this passage of Scripture, you thought... Well, he's going to be focusing on the raising of money today, so let me just put you at ease. I am not. I was looking at this passage of Scripture, and there are some principles that came to me as I was reading the Scripture, and that's what I want to share with you today. The first principle I see in this passage of Scripture is that a worthy vision outlives the visionary. Now, a visionary is someone who is motivated by what can be, not by what is. Robert Kennedy said that his favorite quote came from George Bernard Shaw, who said, Some see things as they are and ask why. I see things that never were and ask why not. Now, that is a visionary. A visionary is someone who is motivated by what can be, not 
just by what is. And David was a visionary. If you look over in chapter 28, verse number 2, then King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brethren and my people. I had intended to build a permanent home for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for, for the footstool of our God, so I had made preparations to build it. David said, This is the vision I see. I want to build a, a temple for my God, a temple that is majestic, a, a temple that is glorious, a temple that will be the footstool for God. Matthew Henry wrote, The earth and most magnificent temples that can be built upon it are but His footstool. That's what David saw. He said, I want to build a, a building. I want to build an edifice. I want to build a temple that becomes the footstool of my God. That was his vision. Moses also was a visionary. Moses had a vision of leading the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage to the land of promise. That vision oftentimes motivated him when things got tough. But he was a visionary. He saw what could be that they were going to the promised land. And that was the motivation of his life. The Bible tells a story about the, the sons of the prophets of Elisha. And they also were visionary because they, they wanted to build a school. And they looked around and said, the place where we are is too limited for us. We are not able to do here what we would like to do. And so they looked in the future and they, they saw a vision of a school because they were visionary. Let me ask you a question. What is your vision for your life? What is your vision for tomorrow? We get amused sometimes when we hear people say, my vision is world peace. We're amused because we know that really is not their vision. What is your vision? Martin Luther King, Jr. said that he envisioned living in a society where one was judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. What is your vision? You see, folks, vision is very important. The way you see the future is very important. Because that is the thing that motivates us. And it is also important because visionaries oftentimes are disappointed. We go through those times of disappointment, and certainly David did. If you look at chapter 28, verse number 3, But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you are a man of war and have shed blood. You see, David's vision was to build a temple, but he was not going to be allowed to fulfill his vision. So there was a disappointment there. Moses had a vision of leading the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage into the promised land, but he also was disappointed. The Scripture says in Deuteronomy 32:52, For you shall see the land at a distance, but you shall not go there into the land which I am giving the sons of Israel. So Moses had this vision. He envisioned leading the people of Israel out of bondage to the promised land. And then God said, but... Moses, you are going to see it, but you're not going to go there. You're not going to be the one who leads them. You see, many of us have had visions and have been left disappointed that our vision was not fulfilled or it was not fulfilled the way we had imagined it. And this is the good news, though. Vision, a worthy vision, outlives the visionary. And even though... 
the visionary dies, if it is a worthy vision, the vision lives on. That was true with David. Look at verse number twenty, uh, verse number one in our text. Then King David said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. You see, David understood that he was not going to accomplish his vision, but it was going to be accomplished by his son. Moses was not going to be allowed to take the people out of bondage into the promised land, but the vision would be fulfilled through Joshua. And the Scripture says in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Now that's encouraging to me, that the vision outlives the visionary. Folks, you should have a a vision that is so great, that is so audacious. You should have a vision for the future and for your life, that it takes more than one lifetime to fulfill it. And for some of you, you ought to have visions that are actually going to be fulfilled by the next generation, perhaps your own children. So as I was reading this passage of Scripture, one of the things that stood out to me is that a worthy vision outlives the visionary. The second principle that I noticed in this passage is that commitment overcomes disappointment. Now, the depth of your commitment is going to determine your vision. Therefore, we need to have a commitment to the purpose of God. And David did. Look in verse number 1b. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. You see, here's David recognizing that the temple was not about him. The temple was not about man. The temple was about God. And everything in the temple spoke about Jesus. Did you know that? On the altar there was the showbread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In the temple there was the menorah. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The temple was the place where sacrifices were brought and Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. In fact, the Scripture says in Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, And every priest stands daily ministering, and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but He, speaking of Jesus, but He, having offered one sacrifice for sins Himself, for all time sat down at the right hand of God. When Jesus died on the cross, He became a sacrifice for you and for me to pay for our sins. So David was committed to the purpose of God. Joshua and Caleb were committed to the purpose of God. When, when, when the spies, when, the, when Israel came to the edge of the promised land, they sent in the spies to spy out the land. The spies came back. Ten of the spies said, we can't go in there. The people over there are like giants, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't go in there. And so the Bible says that they discouraged the people. But Joshua and Caleb said, we have to go in there. Because God's given us the land. This is the land of milk and honey, and and we must go in. Do you see the difference? Their commitment was to the purpose of God. Ten of the spies saw the giants. Joshua and Caleb 
saw the purpose. They saw God. Our vision should be a commitment to the purpose of God. The Lord called me to, to preach the gospel. And that was a struggle for me because it was not something I had wanted to do. But there came a time when I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to. And I yielded my life to that. And there has never been from that time, I've never doubted the call of God on my life. Even though there have been difficult times and so forth, I've never doubted the call of God. But it was that call that has kept me many times in the ministry. See, ladies and gentlemen, I think that it is equally important for you that you sense a call of God on your life. I'm not saying that you need to be a preacher, a pastor, a minister of music, anything else. I'm not saying that at all. But no matter what you do, you should see God's purpose in your life, that this is, this is why God created me. This is where God has placed me. But if we are going to be successful with our vision, then there must be a, com- a commitment to God's purpose, that this is God's purpose for my life, and we also must be committed to God's plan. Verse number 3, And moreover, in my delight in the house of my God, the treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God over and above all that I have already provided for the holy temple. Now, David was committed to the plan of God concerning the temple, though he would never see the temple. He would die before the temple was built. He was committed to the plan of God, though he would never attend the temple. He would never worship in the temple, because the temple would be constructed after he was dead. But he was still committed. As I was reading that and thinking about it this last week, I thought of Bob Newell especially. There's some others, but I thought of Bob Newell especially. Bob used to bug me to death about paying off the debt on this church. And I always told him, I said, Bob, it doesn't bother me that much. And he'd make an appointment. Every once in a while, it'd get to aggravating him. He'd come in, make an appointment, come in, sort of get on to me about, you know, we've got to pay off that debt. So we need that money to be able to do ministry and these programs, all this stuff. And I'd sit there and I'd listen to him. Break. And I was thinking about it, and I sort of smiled when I did because I thought, you know what? Bob pressured me all the time he was alive about paying off the debt. Bob's going to be with the Lord. And now we're in a position we're fixing to pay off the debt. See, that, that's the same thing with David. David was never going to attend the temple. He was never going to see the temple. He would never worship in the temple, but he was still committed to the plan of God. He asked a question there in verse number 5b, Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? In other words, he said, Who will join me? The word to consecrate means to fill, to satisfy, to fulfill. So David said, I am committed to the plan of God. I'm committed to the purpose of God. Now, who's going to join me? And the Bible says that the leaders did so willingly in verse number 6. Then the rulers of the father's households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with the overseers over the king's word offered willingly. They gave willingly. They gave generously in verse number 8. Whoever possessed precious stones gave them to the treasury and so forth. And then look at the people's response in verse number 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. For they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart, and King David also rejoiced greatly. The word rejoice that is used there means to brighten up. You see, what happened to them is when their leaders did what they did, the Bible says that the people were encouraged. The people brightened up and rejoiced as a result of it. Now, here's the thing, folks. Whenever we are committed to the purpose of God, 
And we are committed to the plan of God. And you can individualize that in your own life. Whenever you are committed to God's purpose in your life, when you are committed to God's plan for your life, then that always leads to worship. And that's what happened to David. David said, I am committed to the purpose of God, the building of the temple. I am committed to the plan of God that Solomon is going to be the one who leads in it. And then he worshiped the Lord because God is faithful. Look at verse number 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed art thou, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. He said, you are our Father forever and ever, which speaks of God having a history of faithfulness. God has been historically faithful. He was faithful to Moses. When, when, when the Lord called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of bondage, Moses' reply was, Lord, who am I that I should do that? Why should Pharaoh listen to me? But God was faithful. And Moses led the people out of Egyptian bondage. When, when the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, you are going to have a child. Abraham said, have you looked at me recently, Lord? I'm, I'm on up there in years, and have you seen this woman I'm married to? I mean, she's no spring chicken either. But God was faithful, and Isaac was born. God was faithful. You see, we worship him because he is faithful. Has God been faithful to you? Has he been faithful to you? I look back in my life and sometimes am overwhelmed with God's faithfulness. How He has literally provided food for my family when we had none. When He provided clothes. <laughs> I, the first little church that I was pastoring, going to school, and I, I had one suit. I, I mean, I wore that suit everywhere. And, and the seat of it was just worn out, and Linda had patched it. And, I used to, when people come, I'd kneel down with them. She told me, she said, don't you kneel. You're going to embarrass the entire congregation. <laughs> God's been so faithful. See, we worship Him because He is faithful. And, and then He worshiped Him because He said He's great in verse number 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heaven and the earth. Thine is the dominion, O Lord, and Thou dost exalt Thyself as head over all. God is great. David said, I worship Him because He is great. The psalmist said, what God is so great is our God. Steve, I like it when we say, how great is our God. How great is our God. David said, I worship Him because He is great. He is the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, the fairest of ten thousand. He is great. And I worship Him. He said in verse number 12 that He is the ruler, both riches and honor come from Thee, and Thou dost rule over all, and in Thy hand is power and might, and it lies in Thy hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the provider. He says that He provides for our every need. The second thing I noticed as I read this passage of Scripture is that commitment overcomes disappointment. You might be disappointed in some things. But folks, that should not diminish your commitment to the purpose of God, to the plan of God for your life. Whatever God has put in your heart, even though there is disappointment, you be committed to Him, to His purpose, 
and his plan for you. Third thing I see is that legacy is normally forged in times of difficulty. And verse number 28 of our text, the Bible says, Then he died in a ripe old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And his son Solomon reigned in his place. The way you handle the difficult times in life is largely going to determine the legacy that you leave behind. David left a legacy of loyalty in verse number 18. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of thy people and direct their heart to thee. You see, here's the thing with David. David knew of Israel's tendency to wander from God. He knew that. And so he is leaving a legacy that he is hopeful will encourage them during those times when they, they tend to wander. So he is leaving to them a legacy of loyalty to God. He leaves it for his son in verse number 19. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do them all and to build the temple for which I have made provision. He's saying, son, I'm leaving a legacy to you, a legacy of loyalty to God. I know that I'm not, I know that you're going to build the temple that I'm not going to, I'm not going to be there, but I've gathered the materials and son, I want you to be faithful to God. That's the legacy that I'm leaving. My family left me a legacy of loyalty. Being loyal to God. In fact, um, some years ago, I was so blessed. There was a man who had gone to church with my father when my father was a young man. And he came by to see me, and he said, I, I remember that any time in our church when there was a time to pledge or there was a time to give or anything, he said, your dad was always the first one. Well, that's a legacy that he left me. I'm very proud of that. That my, my father left a legacy of loyalty. And that's what David did. And then he left a legacy of worship in verse number 20. Then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. You see, David worshipped the Lord during good times and bad times. When his son Absalom died, he worshipped the Lord. When he was hiding from Saul, he worshipped the Lord. And the Psalms are peons of praises to his God. He worshipped the Lord. I want to leave a legacy of worshipping God to my children, to my grandchildren. And, and ladies and gentlemen, listen, that is more important to me than that I attend every, every one of their ball games, every one of their recitals, every function. I'm not saying anything bad about that. But when they remember me when I'm dead and gone, I want them to remember of my commitment to Jesus more than anything else. David also left a legacy of celebration. I believe that Christians ought to be the best celebrators in the world. I'm afraid we're not sometimes. We should be. David was. Verse number 21. And on the next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and burnt, offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their libations and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. So they ate and drank that day before the Lord with great gladness. Now, they are not celebrating the completion of the temple. They are celebrating the commencement of the temple. David was always a celebrator. You remember over in 2 Samuel 6, 14, and David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, ticked off his wife. But he was a celebrator. I mean, he celebrated the Lord, and so he's just dancing before the Lord with all of his might. I think the people of God ought to be celebrators. 
little boy, six years old, had gone to visit with his grandparents, and it was Sunday. And, and so he's running through the house, and Grandpa stopped him, and he said, Son, this is the Lord's Day. Stop running. So he stopped running. He went on turned on the television. Grandpa said, Son, this is the Lord's Day. Turn off that TV. So he turned off the TV. He went over and turned on the radio and was listening to that. And Grandpa said, Son, turn off that radio. This is the Lord's Day. So he decided to go outside. Well, when he went outside, he was on the farm. He saw this old mule standing out there all bent over his head down. Sad look. Little boy looked at him. He said, You must have the same religion as Grandpa. You know what? I want my family to remember me as being committed to Jesus, but having a heart of joy. And we ought to celebrate God's love. In fact, in my devotional time this morning, I was reading in 1 John 3, and it says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Folks, do you understand that? That that. Through Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. Well, is that something to celebrate? My heavens, that we are children of God. If we know Jesus, we are children of God. We celebrate that. We celebrate the fact that He has forgiven us of our sins. Oh, happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. If you have been forgiven, then you have reason to celebrate. And we celebrate God's provision, that He provides everything we need and more. So much more. Let me conclude. The first principle I notice is that vision outlives visionary. Have a vision that is, that is so strong, so powerful, so big that you can't fulfill it. Go back and look at your vision again. Have a big vision. Second thing I notice is that commitment overrides disappointment. Now, Ladies and gentlemen, you're not just going to sail through life. I know that there are some people who tell you if you're a Christian, it's all downhill and shady. Well, it isn't. There's going to be some disappointment. And so you have to be committed. Committed to his purpose, committed to his plan, committed to him. Third, legacy is forged in difficulty. You are leaving a legacy right now. You pleased with it? By your actions, by your life, by your decisions, you are leaving a legacy. Are you pleased with your legacy? If you think it needs to be improved a little, I hope you'll begin today. Our Father in God, I pray that you will examine our hearts and our lives at this point. And I pray, Father, for those to whom you have especially spoken about their life, about their legacy about their commitment, Lord, today that they would be committed to you. They'd make that commitment, a decision. Father, I pray for those who have never been saved that they would be today. I pray, Lord, your blessings on this invitation in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we are going to stand. The choir is going to sing. This is an invitation. If you have never received Christ, I hope you'll come today and trust him. Say, well, I don't know what to do. Someone here will pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of this family. Maybe there you just need to talk to the Lord right where you are. Look at your vision. Look at your legacy. Make it a good one. It's the only one you have. Make it a good one. Let's stand together as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you.